0: Hello Internet friends and welcome back to Love Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm your host, Andy Boel.
1: And I'm your other host, Alex Ruiz, and as always we're here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. And for all our listeners out there, uh I'm gonna be up front with you. It is May third, right now. You know, we are we're two days before Cinco de Mayo, we're One day before Star Wars Day. Andy, before we get started on our topics and our episode proper, as we always like to do, I like to, you know, bitch about for a little bit just to (laughs) get terrible people to not listen to our podcast because we bore them uh, and they leave terrible reviews on us. Uh, We see you. We see you. But I only have one question for you. (laughs) Endgame?
0: We are in the endgame. And if you're worried about spoilers now, what's wrong with you? The movie's been out for over a month.
1: Be nice, be nice. Okay, right here, Andy is going to drop where we're done with this conversation and we start the episode proper. Of course. So, spoilers. Skip ahead to.
0: That is the 750 mark.
1: Okay, Andy, end game. How much did you cry?
0: You know, I did not cry. I got emotional. I got emotional. I did not cry. The thing that I think got me the most was. Hawkeye and Scarlet Widow's sacrifice off.
1: Scarlet Widow? <laughs> Punch yourself in the face and continue.
0: Yeah, fair well, Scarlet Johansson, Black Widow, so at least the mental through line is there. Black fine, Widow, fine. of course Black Widow. Uh um, doing doing probably her strongest work of the series, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I I didn't cry because I thought Iron Man. Sacrificing himself was so thematically appropriate. Mm. From a meta context, the the progenator of the Marvel Cinematic Universe dying, and this truly being the end. I, uh, I I I tipped my hat to it, and and it's for that reason that I wasn't too sad about it. Oh, how much did okay. you cry?
1: Oh, I made it all the way until uh, on your left. And as soon as I heard that, as soon as I heard the, as soon as I heard Sam's voice <laughs> in Capscom link, then I heard the on your left and I saw the portals opening. I like started. And then I saw T'Challa and Shuri with Okoye and i saw falcon fly out and then i saw as soon as i saw peter i was done i was sure. like cool yeah. all right and then i spent the next like 10 to 20 minutes intermittently intermittently weeping <laughs> like i it was it was fan service 100% it was, you know, they had the they had the panning shot of you know all the female MCU characters protecting Spider Man, and it's just like oh, and I wept at that. And they had, they they had all of the reunion moments, Tony and Spidey, and 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 they had Black Panther asking Clint the glove and telling him give it to me when i'm remembering in civil war when he was like hi we haven't met i'm clint barton and black panther's literally just like i don't care and starts fighting him like <laughs> they square all these all these circles and i'm just like pouring tears in this theater i was so gleeful
0: oh and
1: i did i did fine until that point sure but... sure
0: sure sure no i'm i'm happy. Uh, you're in such a good place with your emotions. Oh yeah, I um I I I think my favorite part of the movie was the all female Avengers kick ass force getting their moment. I I loved it for reasons that some of my coworkers claimed they hated it. While it did not make sense in the story, it it made such it was such a great middle finger from the Russo brothers to all of the comics gate women can't be superheroes i'm not gonna see captain marvel or wonder woman dick bags out there and you know i i hope that it helped inspire so many girls and boys to just see that Of course girls are going to be superheroes. Here are all of our kick-ass ones.
1: To wit, sometimes they're the best superheroes. Again, my favorite X-Man is Storm. And anyone who tries to step to me on that, I will crush under the weight of continuity. Because that's how I am.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, Sweet perfect Karen Gillan. Sweet baby Nebula, literally killing her demons, literally killing her past. Right, <laughs> she was uh, everything to me, and my favorite part of the movie, and not just because I have a terrible crush on Karen Gillan.
1: Uh, uh, that's well established. It's Indeed, all
0: right. no, it's um, all okay. I I think I think Infinity War was a better movie, but the final climactic. Everybody's invited fight sequence was unlike anything I've seen in a superhero movie.
1: Yeah. And I mean, here's the thing. I am going to blow right past the years in which I have argued, and I have argued this for years, that if a sequel requires you to have seen the original to work, it's not a good movie. It could be... A good movie if it's if watching the original makes it better but if it cannot work on its own it's a bad movie i'm going to go ahead and ignore that when it comes to this movie because at the time that i've been arguing that we didn't have an 11 year culmination do you have to have seen all 20 some odd movies for this to make sense no you could probably get away with watching about half of them and understand it pretty well. That said, mm. as a standalone movie, you're right. Infinity War is absolutely better. Because Infinity War arguably could stand alone on its own as a movie. But Endgame isn't for cinema people, Endgame <laughs> is for MCU people, Endgame is for fans of this universe. It's. It's an annual comic,
0: yeah. You know, it's yeah. It's it's a summer event, but like one of the good ones. It's not Axis, yeah. <laughs> no,
1: it's Inferno. Right. You know, <laughs> it's it's like it's everything that Secret Wars wanted to be and couldn't because Jim Shooter was Jim Shooter.
0: No, I um My final thing of it is, I am awaiting on bated breath, and I am fascinated to see in the in the universe what happens next and where we go from here and and how much certain people are referenced and and what the next five years of marvel are going to look like
1: i agree i mean we're gonna get more of these movies 1.2 billion in the first weekend we're gonna get more of these movies we're getting a suicide squad sequel And that made seven hundred million. The first Captain America movie made three hundred and seventy million, and now we're here. They're gonna make more of these.
0: I keep waiting for the wave to crash and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger.
1: Well, they're they're staving off that crash. But we'll see what happens. I mean Cowboy movies died. And those were un- unstoppable for a good, what, 40 years? 30 years?
0: I, uh, I, you know, you've given me something to hope for here, uh, because following this comparison, that means eventually we're going to get the superhero version of Unforgiven, which is, of course, Old Man Logan. <laughs> and I'm here for an Old Man Logan movie.
1: I mean, that, that was kind of just Logan, but... Like, the movie Logan. Logan, you still have time.
0: Indeed. But uh, Logan didn't have the Red Skull getting decapitated or Venom being attached to a T-Rex. Like, I, I want the literal, like, film adaptation of the comic.
1: <laughs> I don't know if I can deal with incest hulks. I don't.
0: Oh, Yeah yeah i loved ruffalo way too much to really be able to say yeah. that that's a good point
1: that's that's gonna be after the what ifs like apparently disney plus is gonna have an animated what if cartoon
0: i'm very excited for that yeah
1: yeah that's literally just like every episode opens with the watcher doing a what if and then in a half hour episode of a what if story Right. so and
0: apparently Disney is making no less than four Marvel TV shows we're getting Loki we're getting Scarlet Witch and Vision and we're getting oh it's called that's called WandaVision right. which is the worst title <laughs> the ever the worst name ever and okay. we're getting Winter Soldier and Falcon
1: yeah so plus we're getting a what if series and who knows we'll, we'll see what happens <sighs>
0: I saw the the lineup of Disney Plus exclusive content and and just got got sad knowing that I was absolutely going to cave in and and get that the second it comes out.
1: There are a lot of people who are going to be willing to give up their Hulu for that shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, you ready to get started? Yeah. So, diving from
0: one niche nerdy part of pop culture to another
1: Uh, oh hold on you have to go over the format andy oh go over the format i keep going over the format every episode how about you go over the format for once you freeloader
0: yes dad (laughs) so this is love hate relationship and if you're still with us and if this is Uh, You randomly picked this episode and you're still with us. Good on ya. Every episode, Alex and I take one topic we love, one topic we hate, and then we take your relationship questions and we try to offer our perfectly unqualified advice.
1: This week... 100% unqualified.
0: Utterly unqualified. Uh, This week, it is my turn to bring up the love, and um, there's... You know, we talk about movies a lot. We talk about comic books a lot. We talk about comic book movies a lot, clearly. One section of nerdy pop culture-ness that has been pretty severely underrepresented on this show has been video games. And so it is my pleasure today to talk about one of my absolute favorite video games of all time. Something that I have not had access to for a while. And the reason I was inspired to talk about why I love Skyrim is because I've literally been pining to play it. (laughs) So Skyrim, for those of you who don't know, is the fifth elder Scrolls game developed by Bethesda softworks. The elder Scrolls as a series is your typical sword and sorcery dungeons and dragons esque fantasy world. And if you've experienced it in one fashion, you've experienced it in pretty much any fashion you can. You know, just just think of the world from the Hobbit, add in some cat people and some lizard people, and you're you're very close to Skyrim. You have good. Okay. Um, So Skyrim is the fifth game, as I said, like the rest of it. It is a open world fantasy role-playing game set in the mythical world of Tamriel. You know, basically a whole heaping mess of all of the wonderful fantasy tropes that I deeply love. And Alex, you have been clear to state that you are not not something you particularly care for.
1: (laughs) I'm ambivalent, but... That's fine. I'm not mad about it. It's just not my jive.
0: And that's completely fair. It is lots of other people's jives. You know, The Elder Scrolls, and specifically Skyrim, uh, has just been an immensely popular game series. You know, Skyrim came out in 2011, and as of time of recording, it stands as the 13th best selling video game of all time. Hmm. Now, Alex, I would love to force you to guess what is the best selling video game of all time
1: before i answer i have to ask is this best sell does best selling mean the game that has individually made the most money or the one that has sold the most individual copies
0: the one that has made the most individual money
1: i'm gonna have to guess fortnite
0: that is a very good guess i uh, believe that it is fifth on the list
1: okay so what's made the most money, Andy?
0: The game that has made the most money since the days of the Atari 2600 is Tetris.
1: I respect the hell out of yeah. this because I love Tetris.
0: I knew you would appreciate that. I uh, I got a hearty, sensible chuckle looking at the list because it, it just shows that like a simple game can have such lasting power. I have,
1: there was one point in my life, Andy, where I was playing so much Tetris, and this is a documented phenomenon, this is not just a personal thing that only ever happened to me. People have studied this, and it actually was a thing for me, where I was playing so much Tetris on a daily basis, that I would close my eyes to, like, go to bed, or I would be staring off, and I would actually see Tetris games happening as I closed my eyes, that is how much Tetris I was playing. Awesome,
0: fascinating.
1: Not healthy.
0: <laughs> and that was before like iPhones were such a prevalent thing too. So you really had to work to give yourself that much screen time.
1: I had it on Game Boy. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, my thank you to my <laughs> sister, who uh, gave me a Game Boy and a copy of Tetris for I think my tenth birthday. Uh, It was her old Game Boy and her old games, and I just loved that shit. There you go. So, please continue, though. Skyrim.
0: Yeah, so Skyrim. It it stands as, nearly a decade later, still being easily one of the most successful games from a financial standpoint ever made. It is something that I, I deeply love, and I'd like to take a moment to recognize... Matt, other video game nerds out there, you will know everything I'm about to say. Half of our listening audience knows everything I'm here to talk about today. But I'd like to turn to the other half who have never heard of Skyrim or, or maybe have heard of it, but just don't care for video games all that much. And I'm, I'm mainly talking to you guys today as I, I gush we are this game.
1: We are legion.
0: <laughs> there are dozens of us. Dozens. <laughs> um so to get into the plot just a little bit, Skyrim sees you play the stereotypical mythical, as told by the prophecy style hero. Specifically, you play something called the Dragonborn, which is a being Metal. that can kill dragons along with Just about anything and everything else you can encounter in the game. Beyond that, everything about your character, race, appearance, fighting style, how much magic you use, if you want to run around with a bow and just basically be a medieval sniper, whatever you want to do is entirely up to you. And the game is so expansive. It is so large. There are so many oodles and oodles and oodles of side quests to get into that I can admit, and I know for a fact I'm not the only person to do this, I have put in easily over 100 hours in playing Skyrim, and I have never finished it.
1: Wow. (laughs) For context, Andrew, um, one of my favorite games when I was a teenager was the tremendously underrated Final Fantasy IX, which came on four discs for the PlayStation 1, ladies and gentlemen. And I probably logged 80 hours on that game to finish it. And I was not a good video gamer. I was not good at this game at all. I just really enjoyed it because it had a great story and great characters. And after your first 30 minutes, you understand how the mechanics work. So at that point, it's just figuring out everything else. You've done 100 hours on this game and you haven't finished it. And you want to keep playing.
0: This is a game that I played near nonstop for months and months and months. And then I got distracted or got a little tired of it or something. And I, I put the game on a shelf unfinished and probably at the time played the latest Call of Duty or something did that and and I, I kid you not like 6 months later i got the itch and i picked it up i picked a sky i picked skyrim up i booted it back up i loaded my save file and within 10 minutes it was just like ah oh, i'm back and everything feels exactly like it did when i left in in the best way it was it was slipping on a a, a warm robe of just fun and adventure and I can't think of many games that myself specifically I can just pick right back up. I'm, I'm very much a, if I stop in the middle of the story and come back to the game six months later, I have to restart and I have to play through the story. And Skyrim is one of the few games that isn't like that. And I, I do say that to its credit Skyrim is a game where the 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 main storyline, the thing I haven't finished, is basically train yourself with your dragonborn magic, which is literally screaming so loud you kill things. And... Okay. <laughs> train your dragonborn magic and kill the main evil dragon, Alduin. You do
1: realize this sounds like the plot of a Ronnie James Dio concept album, right? Maybe
0: that's part of why I love it so much.
1: Because it's basically a Dio album? Yeah, hell yeah! <laughs> that lasts a hundred hours.
0: I could listen to a hundred hours of Dio. And I think, I, I I mean, think if you add in Elf and Heaven and Hell, there is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, please.
0: The, The main story is, hey, learn how to do the thing, go kill this dragon. It is... It is very accomplishable as you you level up and you get strong enough and you go kill the dragon. But the, the sweet, wonderful reason I can put in 100 hours of this game and be nowhere near that is there's just so much to do. If you want to decide that you're just going to become like the best assassin in the game, there's an entire line of questing that can do that. If you want to get into the geopolitics of the region you're in, and decide that you're going to support the Viking Viking king, or go ahead and support the Roman legionary esque uh, Imperials, like you can decide to do that. If you want to go, just study at the in-game College of Wizardry and learn how to shoot lightning out of your eyes. You can do that. There is an overwhelming amount of freedom to the game. If you just want to crawl into every little mountain crevice and find each individual golem and kill him, you can do that. It's, it's so it's, I, I hope that comes across as freeing and interesting and good as i mean for it to because like that's the core of why i love this game skyrim is one of the most freeing experiences i've ever sat down and played and it's it's more than just you can do whatever you can do in the game it it, it, there's another level to the freedom in that you can make this game whatever you want you know i spoke earlier about how there is a a character creator and that's nothing new. These days, if your game doesn't have a character creation system, it's because it is so story-driven that you have to be the character you are. You know, you can be uh-huh. one of like 12 different races. You can be a, a guy or a girl. You can set up every last little physical attribute. You can decide I'm going to be a knight or I'm going to be a thief or I'm going to be a wizard. And it's not even pick your class. It's just literally you, the, ki- you, the player, decide, okay, I want to have my guy train in archery so he can become the best archer. Beyond that, this game and Bethesda all of their games, they're also known for the Fallout series specifically, have become very open-minded to the idea of giving their game code to the fans and allowing them to create and customize. Bethesda and Skyrim especially are known for their mod system. Mod, short for modifications. Basically, smarter people than me are able to take the game code and do so many things with it. They have been able to make the game look better and literally, like, enhance the graphics so that it looks more real and more immersive. They have made entirely new games out of the engine. And there are several fan-listed ones, you know, a quick cursory search online can find them if you're if you're a fan of skyrim and you haven't been aware of any of the completely unofficial spinoffs I've, I've heard some pretty great things about some of them you know people can take this and and make something new and engaging out of it and and, and i think that's honestly just wonderful uh-huh. you know honestly the, the other thing people can do is make it so that a thousand dragons appear in the sky and and burn you and then somebody else can make it so that every one of those dragons looks like Macho Man Randy Savage, and that's not a joke. That's a real thing, and and I, I love that too because you know it 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 speaks to a sense of humor in in this age when so many video game developers are obsessed with the bottom line and the financial aspect and sucking every last microtransaction they can out of the gamer. And don't get me wrong, Bethesda themselves have fallen into this trap and gotten greedy in later games. But at least for this moment in time to look back and, and to be the sort of company that not only doesn't do microtransactions, but just offers up your product, literally your game code to the fans, the people who are passionate about your thing and to go, okay, I want to see what you guys can do, make it cool or make it weird or make it funny, but make it your own. Like I can't think of another game that, that really does that. I I think that speaks to Skyrim's lasting appeal and helps educate as to why it is one of the most financially successful games of all time. I wish there was more of it. Like that spirit of, of game development and marketing
1: yeah the only thing i can think of that's in anywhere in that vein and it's by no means the same thing is probably the uh super mario builder game yeah that nintendo came up with a while ago which i've never played i played a lot of super mario back on the super nintendo and the nintendo way back in the day uh and the n64 but I have seen the YouTube videos of some of the Super Mario Builder like courses. And and it's literally just like, hey, you've played Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo. How would you like to build your own course? Here's all the here's all the stuff you need to build your own courses. And some people have built some truly horrifying <laughs> courses <Yes>. with that. <laughs> Uh nightmares that I would like, okay, if I saw this course, I I have beaten all of Super Mario World more than once. All the bonus levels, gotten all the dragon coins, I've done the whole thing. Could never do some of these levels that some of these people are doing.
0: Fucking what? What? Just throw the what? shell throw the shell up there. How am I? what the fuck is the
1: difference? Yeah. There you go. Well now what? There you go. So, I mean, are you telling me that Bethesda takes the... This... So, so you're telling me that they just have the code open publicly or that it's just easy to break?
0: Um, I'm not 100% sure on the history of this, but I'm pretty sure it was the second and then it became the first.
1: Interesting. Because, to... I mean, mods in video games are nothing new. No, not I mean, at people all. Have done that, people have done that forever, but the idea that they would just, like, allow it or encourage it It's really fascinating to
0: me. Yeah, to speak from a place of actual research and not just completely out of my ass, the mods for Skyrim were generally made available through something that Bethesda pumped out with the game, at least on the PC, not necessarily on any other platform. But for PC, it would also come with a creation kit. And they were distributed freely on file sharing sites. And like I said, it's, it's, it's something I've never gotten into. It is certainly for people a little more intelligent than me, but to your point, it is pretty much freely available and welcomed from Bethesda, the developers to give access to these things, you know, and it, it, it it goes from enhanced lighting and visuals and, and, yeah, that's clever in its own right because it's basically saying, "Hey, we could patch this, but we're gonna let you do it if you really, if you really want the light to look that much cooler and you want the grass to look that much more like grass. Here you go.
1: And it, and if you really want Macho Man Randy Savage <laughs> to rain fire upon you from the sky, yeah, no, I, I I will support anything that puts a bunch of Macho Man Randy Savages on my television screen, like. <laughs> I will, I will definitely be down for that, so... I, I dig this, you know? I, so I, I am, as Andy said, like, I'm of that population that really, like, I, I, was a big video game nerd pretty much through middle school, uh, and then I left it behind, and I've never really regretted that. I've gone back and played a couple of, like, handheld things here and there, played some phone games, played some Tetris on my phone, done that shebang but consoles have always been intimidating to me uh for very, or have been pretty much since i was a teenager and i don't really like mess with them much beyond going over to friends houses and playing super smash which is just always great and i'm pretty sure i put 100 hours into super smash brothers melee back in the day but that's besides the point <laughs> you telling me like The thing that I have always heard, which I think is a really fascinating take, is, you know, video games... First of all, video games as just, like, taking up market share are comparable to movies. Video games... The video game industry pulls in about as much money as the movie industry does. Period. That's just a fact. Yeah. Um, In terms of narrative... They're a really interesting frontier, you know, they're, and, and specifically talking about these kind of open world, that's the right term, right? Open world style no, games? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so specifically in these kind of open world style games, I mean, that conceit of that level of freedom, both, um, you know, textually in the game itself and, uh physically just in the ability to do these modifications kind of pull this kind of stuff i have to imagine it it would be a gratifying experience i have no interest in like playing games like this in general but the fact that they exist kind of reminds me that it's a whole another medium of creativity and i am always in support of that you know i am always fascinated with people doing cool dope ass stuff with things that already exist you know that's how hip-hop got started yeah that's and and so you're telling me that there there are these mods that in the game itself you don't have to crack anything you don't have to modify or adjust anything you just have this experience wherein you can do i mean i guess whatever you want I, i don't know i find that really heartening in a weird way, like I knew Skyrim existed. I think I've watched some friends play Skyrim here and there. I never understood how it worked, but and and you have educated me, which I appreciate. But like, I'm really heartened to know this is out there. Yeah, and and you say that Bethesda has kind of turned a little on this uh, with future games. Are there other people doing this kind of stuff still, or is this was this kind of a, a last hurrah? I know the new Spider-Man game apparently has a big open world concept that a lot of people are super into is there other shit still doing this is this still a proper genre
0: there there certainly is um you know specifically open world games have no sign of stopping and even even open world games that give you the same amount of freedom as skyrim like we're that's just becoming a mainstay. I can think of several titles like Grand Theft Auto 5 or Red Dead Redemption 2 that have even bigger worlds than the one presented in Skyrim and offer you know, just about as much freedom to do whatever you want, main story or not, as this. I can't think of as many games that are so... closely tied into modifications like skyrim is i know for a fact that they exist but for a lot of them skyrim and to the same extent fallout were were special in that they just were hand in hand associated with mods and doing crazy stuff and and i can't think of anything in the past decade that has reached that same level. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily from a lack of interest so much as just it's it's hard. It takes a commitment. That's a lot of contingencies that you, the coding developer need to take into account for. That's a lot of work that needs to be done so that I can make Triple H show up and breathe fire on somebody else. Um, so it's, it's still there and, and, you know, video game companies are for the most part with the exception of EA pulling their heads out of their asses when it comes to microtransactions. But yeah, it's, it's, it's part of why Skyrim is so special. I think because it was a, it, it, it was A technical achievement years before its time and offers just such a wide expansive but at the same time very comfortable freedom and for all of that to be in a genre and a setting that i have always very much loved it's just the perfect mix and that's why i think this is the only the the second video game we've talked about in a positive light to give a segment like this, you know, the last time I was railing against esports, um, <laughs> but <laughs> the, that speaks to how highly I think of Skyrim. That it was it was one of the first video games on our podcast I wanted to talk about.
1: Hey. Uh-huh. I mean we're twenty four episodes in and yeah. we're finally opening up this genre in a positive sense. We uh
0: we, we did some market research. We we saw the 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 things that we could improve upon and and I'm here to talk about them.
1: You did research? <laughs> Shit. I was just like, yo, I can't do another music topic for a while just right. because like I keep doing music topics and I don't even have a music topic lined up. It's just a shitty one, so all right i mean i'm proud of you for doing the research i'm proud of you for doing the analysis i ain't got no spreadsheets (laughs) i just gotta glance at it and go all right uh, thing
0: well i'd rather do this than my real job most days so
1: i mean that's because your real job sucks shit so uh okay any final words on skyroom my friend no
0: I, i i think i've said everything i i wanted to say it is it, it holds up. It's almost a decade old and it a hundred percent holds up. So if for some reason, this is the first time you're hearing about it and you consider yourself a gamer, I don't think that's a very big Venn diagram, but if you fall under it, uh, you know, I, I heartily recommend that you give it a chance and I don't think you're going to regret it.
1: And the rest of you can come over to my house and play super smash brothers and it'll be fantastic. <laughs>
0: Uh, so, uh, you kind of, you, you hinted at what you hate today and I'd love to get into that.
1: (sighs) That's right. Okay. So, um, before we dive into this, uh, I want to offer a disclaimer, which I rarely do, but I feel like it is going to be important because there are a number of you, uh, who have maybe clicked on this link out of curiosity and are wondering, what exactly i'm going to talk about and i want to lay this out before i get into the topic itself so i'm going to be talking about the star spangled banner today the song the national anthem of the united states and i want to stay up front that my critiques in this section are regarding the song itself as an individual entity Not the weird, stupid cult built up around worshipping it. Not pretending that uh, kneeling or sitting down is disrespectful to troops. Uh, It isn't. And we have never, again, pretended our politics on this show are anything but our actual politics and we do have a slant and i'm proud of that slant if you disagree uh please dm me email me we'll talk i actually would love to have a conversation about this like not even bullshitting here but the point is that's not what i want to talk about today i don't want to talk about colin kaepernick i don't want to talk about the patriotism i don't want to talk about authoritarianism or fascism or any of this stuff uh i that's all separate but it's an important issue but it's a separate issue i want to focus on this song and why it is a garbage song on its own merits would you say that's an okay disclaimer randy absolutely and
0: it's it's as necessary as it is fascinating to me
1: it's fascinating okay i'm gonna ask you to unpack that in a moment but first uh as i always like to do my friend uh Opening question to you. Uh, So, as someone born and raised in these here United States, I know you have seen and heard the Star Spangled Banner performed probably, what's fair, hundreds of times? Yeah, I'd go ahead with that. Okay, you're a hockey fan. They probably play it before every hockey game. That's exactly the point I was going to make, yes. Okay, there you go. So, I want you to please tell me, briefly, uh, you don't have to go into a long long point on this, but I want you to tell me about a rendition you've heard that stands out in your mind as particularly me- memorable. Could be because it was really bad, could be because it was really amazing, could be because it was a unique take, but one occasion of a time that you saw and or heard Star-Spangled Banner that really stands out in your memory, uh, you're not allowed to say Jimi Hendrix at once. <laughs> time.
0: Well... Honestly, I had some difficulty finding one that stands out in my memory. Um, I can recall being back in high school and uh, a friend of mine in choir was talked into singing the Star Spangled Banner before... I don't even think it was a football game. It might have been a lacrosse game. The crowd wasn't incredibly big, but doing be, being talked into singing and being just incredibly nervous under the weight of the song specifically and the fact that you know it's something you sing alone for the most part and she she did a, a perfectly fine job the thing that i wanted to kind of shoehorn into my answer cuz this is something that i have seen happen so many times it's become infamous there's always the bit in the star spangled banner whether it's at a hockey game or pretty much any other function where they get to and the home of the and then always you always get somebody who decides they need to be the one guy to (laughs) whoo the land of the free yeah! doesn't matter where you are wow. doesn't matter who's singing under what context there will always be the one guy who has to hype up that last line of the song and i i remember that i i i can remember hearing that every time more than i can remember any particularly awful versions of the star spangled banner
1: okay well i think that that's completely valid um you know you say this and i'm kind of going yeah you know what i have totally fucking heard that (laughs) happen like (laughs) damn all right so the woo boy of the star spangled banner that's that's your answer to the question i accept this The This
0: the sweet woo boy who's just so excited
1: Okay, awesome. So, America. All right, I'm going to get started with uh, just some very, very brief history, and I will try and run through this fairly quickly so that we can get into the actual like details and discussion. And, and Andy, I'll be interested to know, uh, after I get done with this spiel, how much of this you already knew before before we talked sure. about this. So, uh, basic background of the song. Is that on September 14th, my birthday, of 1814, lawyer and crappy poet Francis Scott Key was being held captive on a British boat during the Battle of Baltimore Harbor during the War of 1812. And when he saw the morning after the bombardment of Fort McHenry uh, at the edge of the harbor that the American flag which at the time had 15 stars and stripes was still well, was waving over the fort he knew that it at at that point not been taken the british were bombarding to try and take the fort he realized that the americans had held out and so inspired was he by this that he wrote uh, a poem titled Defense of Fort McHenry not McHenry, <laughs> Mahenry. Uh, Why he left out the sea, I have no idea. <laughs> they drank more beer than water back then. The poem was later set to the British song The Anacreon in Heaven, which was popular at the time. So, to, to wit, this would kind of be the equivalent of someone basically, like, writing uh, a poem based on what they considered to be a very... Uh, harrowing, patriotic moment and then uh, essentially setting it to the music of Uptown Funk.
0: We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing.
1: Not because they are easy, but because they are hard.
0: Is it that ice cold, Michelle, fight for that white gold. In
1: 1889, the U.S. Navy recognized the song uh, with the poems as lyrics uh, for official use. President Woodrow Wilson did the same in 1916. And then it was made the official national anthem by Congress in March of 1931, which I must point out was during the fucking Great Depression. So that's your history of the song. It has been our national anthem for less than 100 years. Written during the War of 1812, which no one really thinks about. And... Is musically based on a British song. So I want that to kind of just be in your heads. Andy, how much of that did you know before I kind of ran down it and sent you these notes?
0: So I knew about Francis Scott Key and I knew about his very upsetting night on a British ship and seeing the flag. I think yeah that's basically as much of a history lesson as anybody gets about the star spangled banner everything else is completely new to me and i'm reminded of how the final countdown is basically synonymous with the national football league at this point wait what <laughs> well, I, know,
1: I know the song but what the hell does it have to do with the national football league
0: It is played multiple times, pretty much during every like in and out commercial cut to commercial part. Um, it is it is played on the televised feed of quite literally every football game. Like I promise so, you,
1: so Swedish hair metal band Europe's one hit wonder. The final countdown played at every football game. We don't
0: have enough like diehard football fans, I don't think, on our uh, our core listenership. But the ones we do have are are sitting there, either nodding along or I just broke their brains. I I, I just bring it up because it sounds like exactly as the circumstances uh, under which the Star-Spangled Banner became our national anthem. I mean,
1: kind of. Because if you look into it at the time, for that period of time between when the Navy had recognized it uh, up through it becoming the Anthem, it was, you know, you you grew up with the America songs. You know, you're America the Beautifuls, the You're My Country Tis of These. These, you know, old... I don't want to say Americana, because that's a very particular genre. Like, but these... uh, Almost old colonial songs almost they're not that's the wrong term technically because colonial era ended after independence and all this but that's the association right like how many people do you think knew that the song was written during the war of 1812 i thought it was written during the revolutionary war
0: of course because that's the most patriotic of our wars
1: exactly and the war of 1812 was so boring it was named after the year it started and it ended two years later no one's gonna say the war of 1814 that's a horrible way to brand that doesn't roll off the tongue at all so but yeah like and the thing that i didn't realize until i did this research was how recently this was our national like less than a hundred years ago like 1931 really I, i thought it if you told me it became our national anthem in like the mid 1800s i would have gone okay yeah no that makes sense like you give it a little time country's less than 100 years old by that point like yeah this makes no 1931 like i had grandparents alive in 1931 so that was that was a thing
0: it it gives me hope that it's not too late to change it (laughs) maybe to the final Uh...
1: countdown
0: or, or, hey, Sister Christian. I'm not... I, I'd take either one.
1: Night Ranger, Sister Christian. <laughs> oh, my God, Andrew. Okay. We're going to get into this in a second. Um, but... So, I, I listed a few reasons as to why I really dislike this song. First off, and I feel like this is worth mentioning, and, and again, I am not getting into the current debates surrounding the anthem and kneeling or, you know, its patriotism or anything like that. I just want to point out, Andy... What do you know of the other three verses of The Star-Spangled Banner?
0: I didn't know they existed until um, getting your email about our show notes.
1: Yes, indeed. Andy, so, the, so Defense of Fort McHenry is a poem in four stanzas. And technically speaking, The Star-Spangled Banner has all four stanzas. People who have played in bands or maybe um, quartets or trios that have regularly had to perform this, uh, are aware of those, of those other stanzas, those other verses. And I'm going to tell you right now, the song's kind of racist if you get past the first verse. I'm going to very specifically point to the third verse of the song, which contains the lyrics, and I quote, No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. Now for context, anyone who's not familiar with the War of 1812, at the time, it's well known, that uh, a number of American slaves, people currently held in bondage, this is pre-Civil War, uh, defected to the British side on the promise that they would be receiving their freedom after the war. It's also worth noting that uh, there were a number of British of, uh, mercenaries hired from the, the Brit, hired for the British. That's what the term hireling and slave is referring to in the song. The song is written from a pretty pro-slavery perspective. Now you could say it was 18 it, it, it was 1814, you know, Francis Scott Key was right there in line with everybody. Sure, that's fine. Patrick Henry was pro-slavery too. And we consider him a great American thinker. But the fact of the matter is, we can quote Patrick Henry saying, give me liberty or give me death, but we're not quoting his pro-slavery arguments, of which he had many. And we're not quoting the part of the Star-Spangled Banner where someone basically gives a, and those ungrateful slaves will get theirs statement. We don't sing that part. I did. not would argue i don't think we don't sing that part because of the issue of slavery a big reason for that was cuz uh during world war 1 when we were allied with the british performances of the national anthem by us military bands deliberate which normally did all four verses deliberately omitted the third verse because the third verse also contains a whole lot of references as to how shitty their enemy was And their enemy at the time was the British. Thou globby bottle of cheap, stinking chip oil! So, they decided to omit the verse because it would offend their British allies in the World War. They didn't see a problem with omitting the verse because it's racist. And pro-slavery. And pro-death of freedom-seeking slaves.
0: You know this is why i i said it was fascinating that you're you're making very clear point to sidestep any of the political argument that has come along with the song as we are learning since its inception i'm learning here that francis scott key was friends with andrew jackson (laughs)
1: Noted genocider and pro-slavery dude, Andrew Jackson. Re- yes, re-
0: Referred to African Americans as a distinct and inferior race of people and was the leader of the American Colonization Society whose mission it was to send freed slaves back to Africa. Important context that I did not know that makes the last line a bit more obvious because i mean even even back then you you could have found some way to disparage your british enemies rather than calling out the one subsect of that enemy that also happened to be black
1: just putting it out there you know just just putting it out there so yes the song has racist undertones, and okay, you could you could say like nobody sings the third verse. Nobody outside of like your the your uh, the clan or the military will do the third verse. Okay, all right, you 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 could say that like. That's fine. We also, you know, there's there's a version of Huckleberry Finn out there where they change the N-word to slave. There's a lot of issues here, but okay, I, I get the effort. It's a stupid effort. It's a dumb effort. It's the wrong effort, but your heart's in a not awful. Place, But even moving on from that, like, I'm just going to say, in practical terms, that song is very difficult to sing. Now, Andy, this is going to be one of those moments where I take something that I've been, like, just reading up on personally and and applying it in here like you ever meet those people who like read a book and decide that they need to interject it into every conversation they have i've been studying up on music theory lately and i i have the language because i've been studying music theory to actually talk about this the star-spangled banner because of the anacreon in heaven the british song on which it's based is ridiculously difficult to sing uh it spans a range of 19 semitones that is just a little over an octave and a half. Andy, you've, you've done a little bit of singing in your time. I know you did musical theater. Do you know how many octaves your own voice goes? How many do-re-mi's you can go through before you cut out? Can't lie to you. I have no idea. <laughs> do A deer! A female deer. Okay, no, that's fine. That's fine. I I, I talked to um, Stephanie about this. And Stephanie has had some music lessons. She She sings. She has an idea of this. And we actually went through her vocal range. And her vocal range uh, goes, I think, about two, two and a half octaves. Which is pretty damn good. Like, my own vocal range is a little less than an octave and a half. So I can't sing this song, period. Like, if I were to sing this song, I would need to drop certain parts down an octave. So I would have to be like... And the land of the free... Like, I would need to do some drops in order to sing this. Stephanie conceivably could sing this if she warms up. If she, like, goes through all of the vocal exercises that singers who care about their voices go through. You've done these exercises, Andy. Yes. She she would be able to sing this. Untrained singers regularly butchered this song to the point where it's genuinely amazing when people actually like do it well part of the reason i asked you to open this with a memorable performance of this because like i think about the first time like I, there was a performance of it and i don't remember what it was for but i do remember a performance of it that beyonce did that i saw televised that impressed the fuck out of me i was like oh my god like beyonce is making this song But Beyonce is an incredibly well-trained singer with a really solid wide vocal range who has probably grown up singing this damn song because she's been singing since she was a kid. And if you've been singing since you were a kid, you were probably at plenty of like random ass Little League games when you were seven and singing the National Anthem. So she's had her practice. But it is genuinely impressive when we find people who can actually sing this ridiculous ridiculously difficult song and if you think that it's not a very difficult song you are either a very talented singer or you don't know a goddamn thing (laughs) about music putting that out there
0: i didn't mention this during the question but now i wonder at i've been to several hockey games and it seems like it's becoming a thing for several teams to have their one person for tampa bay it is u.s air force staff sergeant sonia bryson who has sung at every tampa game i've ever been to the the boston bruins had uh, opera singer renee rencourt until he retired i can i can think of several teams who have just a certain person that that sings the song for them i always thought it was kind of a oh this is our hometown person sort of thing now i'm starting to wonder if it was not only that but maybe hey we found somebody who we know can actually sing the song okay you're gonna sing it forever now
1: i mean yeah i could totally believe that <laughs> i mean it's it's not a song that, i don't think it was a song that was ever meant to be sung dude like it was written for instruments it was written to be played on fucking fiddles and bagpipes and brass instruments you know it's, right
0: you know you you brought up it was originally a poem and that, that was another thing i didn't know but like it was a poem it's meant to be spoken
1: yeah. ostensibly yeah and the song it's based on was you know it was it was like a bar song it's, it's again it's the stuff you're not supposed to be singing it's supposed to be playing it on an instrument and people are i guess dancing to it or humming to it or however british people dance like this is this, this is the kind of song the British would dance to. That's probably the best summation I can give it. <laughs> but in that vein, like, and this is this is kind of my final point. And this is the thing that goats me more than anything else. It just gets at me about this song. This is a very boring song. This is a very difficult to sing song. It's a ver- it's a song with a troubled origin. With a not terribly interesting past, and I gotta say, if you're gonna go with some of those older songs, like, fucking America the Beautiful is way better than this, for one thing. But, more than anything. You you made a joke, Andy, that, you know, the final countdown could be our national anthem. And I find that funny. But I've, I, I I will take two slights against that. One is specifically because of the fact that Europe, the band, is Swedish. They're not American. I, I'm, I'm gonna get... This is the the most patriotic I'd probably ever get on this podcast. Europe's not an American band. They're a Swedish band. They play metal. Metal is a British invented genre. Americans did not invent heavy metal. Americans did, however, invent blues, jazz, rock and roll, folk, bluegrass, punk, funk, soul, disco, R&B, hip-hop, gospel, country and western, and even more than that. And the best we have to offer... (laughs) The best that we can present is a crappy British song with lyrics that our populace is too undertrained in poetic diction and phrasing to properly comprehend. Most people who most Americans know every damn lyric to that first verse of this song. But much like the Pledge of Allegiance, I think very few of them know what the hell it means. Because they're not trained to understand that diction, that language, those that meter. That way of speaking. And you know what? Okay, that's fine. Most people who are, a lot of the people who are trained to recite the beginning of the Declaration of Independence don't understand what it means. A lot of people who read certain translations of the Bible don't understand what it means. That's why we have to come up with new translations in dumber language. Fine. But we have such incredible American music. We have... Such, such a powerful tradition of music in the United States. I am a huge music fan. And American music in so many ways. Like, okay, the British invented heavy metal. Black Sabbath invents heavy metal in 1969, 1970. Black Sabbath invented heavy metal because they were a blues-jazz fusion band that was messing around and decided to write, like, horror movie music. But they were a blues jazz band. They were a band that was playing American genres. Their roots were in American music. Pretty much so much of what is the current global music consciousness comes from American music. And the best we can come up with is this piece of shit. I'm offended by that, Andrew. I'm offended. Like, every genre I just listed to you, I love so many songs from it. From every single one of them. I listen to every single one of those genres. I could think of literally dozens of songs in all of those genres that are so much better. Why do we settle for this? I'm asking, why, why do you think we settle for this, Andy, when we have access to all of this music?
0: Well, something that I... Can't help but think about is several of the uh, several of the genres you listed were invented by African Americans, and
1: oh shit, we've
0: made it pretty clear how we feel about them in relation to our national anthems. I mean, I, I, I say that, and and that is an interesting coincidence, but I mainly mean it as a joke and a more less of a thinking point. But I mean, really, like. We're we're getting pretty close to some double plus good nineteen eighty four stupidity in the average man. We admitted, the both of us, that like we thought this song was invented in like seventeen sixty four and became the national anthem the day that we the, the, the day that America became a country. And I think if you ask 90 or I think if you ask 100 people, 99 of them are going to say that they believe along the same thing. You know, we're dumb and we're lazy and it's the national anthem. And while it has only been the national anthem for less than 100 years to most people, it's been the national anthem for almost 300 years as long as we've been a country and why how are you going to change it now it is integral to our patriotism and our country and eh, i mean i'm sure there's an eloquent way to phrase that argument but the inelegant way is eh, we we're, we're tommy lee jones said it best the average man is a dumb stupid idiot and you know it
1: <laughs> imagine what you'll know tomorrow yeah, you know, it's funny because every time I talk politics with my dad and sister, it, it has come up over the years that I've had an attitude for a very long time that the average American is deeply stupid, uh, which is something they didn't agree with me f- with on for a very long time. And it's funny because I think that over the years, I don't think they're with me on that one, but I think their opinion has shifted a little closer to mine over the years, Um, per their own admission. And it's funny, because I think my attitude is softened. I don't think people are dumb. I think people are undereducated. I think people are not given a very expansive view of things. Sure. You know, like, there can totally be an attitude where you say, I want a song that has a lot of history to be representative of American culture. I want something that embodies everything about the American spirit that has been around for a very long time and is inspirational and this, that, and the other. And I'd say, well, you know, Woody Guthrie wrote This Land Is Your Land, or sorry, This Land Is My Land. That song is way better than our national anthem, is way more singable, and I think is a way, way smarter, more intelligent analysis of American ideals. And American individualism and everything that this country struggles to live up to. But we like big bomb explosions and songs that have been around for 200 years and we don't know any better. And yeah, you're right, it's the way it's always been and it feels that way, you know? My parents have been here since the 70s. I. I don't have any context to know any better than this other than the research I did, other than the educating myself I did. So I don't want to end this on a Pyrrhic foot. I don't want to end it on a really late denouement, but I just beg people out there to just think about this stuff a little more deeply, you know? At, at the end of the day, does it fucking matter what our national anthem is. I mean, I... Okay, um, Pan-American Championships for weightlifting just wrapped up. And Americans did really, really well. Uh, very proud of all of them. And a lot of them put up posts on Instagram about how like much pride they felt hearing the national anthem play during the medal ceremony. And I go, I don't ever want to take that away from you. Like, I don't. You accomplish something. You're proud of what you accomplish. You're proud of, you know, the country you represent. I actually don't want to take that from anybody. I just want the song to not suck, you know? <laughs> and the song sucks. So, I I... I I beg all of you, please, take a good, hard look at this song. Try to sing it. Like, just, just at home, by yourself. Find a version of it in your life. Find a couple. YouTube it. There's a million versions of this song on YouTube. Listen to, I don't know, five, ten. Try and sing along with it. Try and look at it as a song. Form your own opinion. But please separate out this garbage notion that because it's been our national anthem for such and such amount of time, because it's the national anthem you grew up with, it's not a bad song. There are so many things that represent everything you want represented better than this piece of shit. I just ask you to analyze that. Don't take anything for granted, because we take the national anthem for granted, and we shouldn't, because it's bad. It's a bad song, y'all. And this country has so many good songs, so much good music, and that's worth at least looking at with open eyes. So that's my entreaty to all of you, is look at your music with open eyes. Whatever your politics, wherever you stand, give the song a listen, and try and understand how much better it could be.
0: You know, I recently got some personal feedback from a friend of the show about the thing he appreciates the most is the passion we bring to our topics and the discussions we're able to have. I don't think anything we've talked about wonderfully encapsulates that notion as the treaties against the Star-Spangled Banner for entirely <laughs> non-political reasons. <laughs> so I thank you, dearly friend.
1: Um, oh, of course. Uh, shall we move on to the last segment? We, as we,
0: we... certainly shall, because this is going to be a long and <laughs>
1: uh, all right, You want to read this one or should I? I'll go ahead. Okay.
0: Hi, LHR. You're both in marriages where one person is from a white family and the other is Latino, so I feel you're uniquely qualified for this. My girlfriend and I got engaged a few months ago, belated congratulations, and are doing the wedding planning thing. Her family's of Latin American descent and, well, I'm not sure they're too happy about me marrying in. When I'm around, they speak a lot of Spanish, even though they know, even though I know they speak both. They're pressuring her to do a lot of the traditional stuff with the wedding, which we're not into as a unit. And my fiance's hinted that they blame me and think I'm the one shooting down everything. I'm not. She and I just have our own vibe we want to go for. How can I get them to accept me or at the least accept me more and back off of her a little? I want to be on good footing with my in-laws, and I want to be respectful of their culture, but I don't want to be a doormat. And that is signed by Matthew Perry. I think
1: that's a Fool's Rush In reference. I don't think actual Matthew Perry is writing into our show. Although if you are, hello, Matthew Perry. I very much enjoyed you in Fool's Rush In.
0: Yeah, you're great. A single reblog from you and our uh, fan base will skyrocket. <laughs> <laughs> It can't be Matthew Perry because he is, in fact, married. So
1: okay, well, that's fine. I, and I also love that if it is a if it is a "Fools Rush In" reference, and I again, I am am making an assumption there because it "Fools Rush In" is kind of about this. Um, I love that he went with Matthew Perry and not Matthew Perry's character from "Fools Rush In," <laughs> which I. Th- I think his name was Alex. No. Alex, this is Chewie. Chewie, hi. Luke Skywalker, how are you? He's getting no. a little more than he bargained for. And I think I only remember that because it's my name. I don't even remember his last name.
0: I have never seen Fools Rush In, but seeing, seeing that <laughs> Selma Hayek is in it uh, means I'm going to correct that very shortly.
1: I love that movie. I grew up on that movie. I think we owned that movie when I was a kid. That was a, it, it's a fun 90s rom-com. It's not a great movie, but it's fun. It's just you watch right. it. You watch it. All right. It. Well, thank you, Matthew. Um, and uh I, I feel like I feel like it's worth mentioning this up front. Um, so uh Matthew said up front that uh, we both are in marriages with a white family and a Latino family demographics-wise. I think this is closer to you because it sounds like Matthew Perry is the white dude yeah. and he's marrying into a Latina family. I was the Latino dude who married a white lady. So I feel like this is closer to a degree on your end and to pretend that the sexes of the parties involved are not important to the experience is to be willfully negligent. Sure. So, Do you want to start? I
0: I am reminded of my own experience, and not even just with the marriage stuff, but it does sound like you're in a little bit of a trickier spot. The only time my in-laws would ever speak Spanish around me, and I didn't know this in the moment, but I would be told after the fact, it was usually stuff of like, did you wash your hands after going to the bathroom? Yes. Why the hell are you asking me this?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So things they would be embarrassed to say in front of Correct.
0: It was never, to my knowledge, used as a weapon of... Look at this pendejo, who presumably can't speak our language. Let's talk about him. Anyway.
1: That's encouraging.
0: um, Also, I think it's worth mentioning, my wife is the youngest of three daughters, and all three of them married white dudes. So, Uh. (laughs) I think by Mariah, her family Uh. had just given up. But, okay,
1: into the actual advice. Dios lo bendiga, go on.
0: (laughs) The biggest thing I want to talk about, man... Matthew, my bud, is your wife has a responsibility here. Your she She's made it clear to you that they blame you and they think that you are the one kiboshing some of the traditional stuff of the wedding. Your wife has a responsibility to make it clear to her parents that that is not the case and that she does not want to do this traditional stuff. And this is where I can speak from experience because it's basically what my wife did when we were planning our wedding. You know, she, there, there were things that both of our parents tried to push onto our wedding. And, you know, jointly we each turned out were inward into our own families and made it clear. I do not want this, you know? And, you are obviously at a disadvantage here and it is incredibly kind of you to care about what her family and what her in-laws thinks, but you also make it pretty clear that like you and your wife to be your fiance are the key decision makers in this scenario. And as long as she understands how unreasonable her folks are being, i i don't think you need to worry that like you're going to step on too many toes here and you know at the end of the day if her family doesn't like your wedding that's tough shit for them man it's your wedding
1: i'm sorry i don't want to interrupt you. no
0: no that was that was my you you, your turn
1: (laughs) okay um i'm with you in a lot of ways andy um Matthew, I again, my experience with this is a little bit different, but there is there's an interesting aspect here that I do want to zero in on, which is you saying that, you know, your fiance, who for the purposes of this question, I'm going to refer to as sama Hayek, uh, good good on I, you. <laughs> yeah, no, well, again, fools rush in, man. It's, it's right, a good right. Watch it. Uh, all of you, watch fools rush in. It's worth it's worth a watch. The thing I zero in on is this. This notion that her parents are blaming you for her not being interested in this traditionalist spot. I'm going to be a l- Not to throw you under the bus, Andy. I'm going to be a little more generous to her. In that, it has often been my experience as the child of Latin American parents, as the youngest child, and admittedly as the one boy, that there's a certain let's say, preciousness, with which Latino parents often treat their children. I have have had the argument with my parents before where I have said, you aren't listening to me when I tell you this is a thing that I want. You think that this is something my partner wants and I think that you're saying that because you don't want to deal with the reality that I don't want or value or like the same things that you do, you know? I've had the conversation with both of my parents where I've had to be like, yo, my values and your values are not 100% the same. My interests, my desires, my beliefs are not the same as yours. And my parents have struggled to accept that in many ways. They've gotten better about it over the years, you know. I'm closing in on thirty. Uh, my sister's five years older than me. My parents aren't new to this parenting thing, but they're still getting getting it over over a process. You know, they're they're accepting me more as an adult over time. You, Matthew Perry, don't list your age use here. Yours or Selma Hayek's? Did the, I don't think you guys say how long. You've been together, um, which is fine. You don't have to, but...
0: You've been engaged for a few months at the least.
1: Okay, so they've been engaged for a few months. You don't say how long you two have been together. Um, Because this is a different thing if you're, you know... If you're 22, I'll tell you from experience, at 22, a lot of Latin American parents haven't figured out that their kids are adults yet. They don't know how to treat them like adults yet. They're still, you know, they're niñito and niñita. They're still their little kids and they're going to treat them like that and they're going to be like, oh, my kids don't value my my things. They're, they must be being manipulated by their friends. This, this must be those things that I've been warned about. That's not to say all parents are like that, but that's that's taught in the culture in a lot of ways. So I... Some of this may be her parents being really precious about her because they don't want to think that they're... Daughter is rejecting them. And that's what it comes down to. They think they're being rejected. You know, her parents could probably do really well with a round of therapy. I constantly recommend therapy on this show. Her parents could probably do really, really well with a round of therapy on this one. But it doesn't change the fact A, they're probably not going to get therapy. B, you're going to get married here. Dude, you two are, I'm assuming the plan here is y'all are planning to have a relationship that will outlive her parents. And that means that they essentially either need to get over this or die miserable. Either way, you're going to win. <laughs> That's a dark one. It's a very
0: you answer.
1: Yeah. It is. It's a very dark way to look at it. And my therapist has told me that I have issues with this kind of thinking. Um, but I say this to say, I don't think think this is going to get fixed in time for the wedding. I think that Andy's advice is great for the wedding. Because the fact of the matter is, it's your you're right, Andy. It's their fucking wedding. You should have the kind of day you fucking want. And if they have a problem with that, that's their shit. I don't know if they're financially involved in this wedding. You don't right, mention that. Right, that's
0: a pretty key contingency variable.
1: And if they are you and Selma Hayek might need to make some decisions about what you're willing to compromise on and what you're not. You know, sometimes there are relationships where they say, okay, if you don't want to have the wedding the way that I want, the way that I require, the way that I find traditional and appropriate, um, and that's another thing, Latino parents will regularly be like, well, why would you do it anyway, other than this way? This is the right way. But that's besides the point. The point is... You, If they're they're the money side of this, then yes, financial manipulation can be a factor here. You and your wife, or sorry, you and your fiancé can have a conversation there about what the practical ways to get through this wedding are. What you'll compromise on. What you won't compromise on. Your options literally range from, fuck you, we're not doing it, we don't want your money, we will do it ourselves or have our courthouse wedding or downsize it. We're not dealing with this to, okay, you're paying for it. We'll acquiesce for the wedding. Fine. Really, all we just want is to be married. We don't give a shit. And that is a spectrum. And you all can together decide where on that spectrum you want to fall. If finances are an issue. If finances aren't an issue, fuck them. They'll show up to the wedding or they won't. And if they don't, that's not your ish. If they're the type of parents who would not show up to a wedding because you don't want to do it a certain way, and they blame you, the husband, for that, that is their goddamn problem. And again, their choice is learn to be okay with the person that your child, who you love, has married, and the person that your child, who you love, has become and chosen to become, or die unhappy. Either way, not your responsibility. You've got a beautiful relationship that you are starting, a beautiful new journey on this wedding, a wonderful marriage that you can have, a family that you are building unto yourself. And if they don't want to be a part of that because they can't get over their cultural bullshit, that's their fault. And it's going to suck if that happens. But it is better than the alternative.
0: Absolutely, you know, you 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 touched on a lot of stuff. I was going to circle back to, so I'll make my final word this, Matthew. It seems like you really found a great Selma Hayek. You know you, but by by what you've listed in your question, at least, it sounds like you guys are really on the same page, and you found a good partner, and that's what she is—is is she's going to be your partner in life. This would be oh, so much harder if she was not in sync with you on this issue, but it sounds at least like she is. And, you know, I want to bolster you and remind you of that fact, because at the end of the day, that is what is going to matter. Your in-laws, while it is important to have, while it is nice, I'm not even going to say important, while it is nice to have a good relationship with them, I I really enjoy my relationship with my in-laws. It's not essential. I really enjoy that. Yeah, mine. yeah, we both do, of course. But yeah. it is not essential. I thank you for bringing up this f- problem. It does sound to me like it weighs much more heavily on your in-laws' shoulders than yours. Yeah. You got anything else? Um
1: yeah, I, I think that's that's really solid. Um, the one other thing I'll add, since, you know, you do, you do make a point in your question to say that you want to be respectful of their culture. Um, the way to be respectful of their culture is to respect their culture. Um, don't ever be derogatory. Don't ever... I can say the shit that I just said about Latin American culture because I grew up in Latin American culture. If Andy just said the same things that I just said, I would punch him in the dick. I would reach through this microphone and punch him in the dick. Because that wouldn't be okay. Because he didn't grow up in this culture. You, Matthew Perry, did not grow up in this culture. So, the way you are respectful is you don't say anything derogatory. You keep it to the individual behavior of your in-laws. Never blame the culture yourself. If your fiancé chooses to blame the culture, that's fine. That's her prerogative. You don't do that. You... Stay mindful of that. Keep your criticism levied on the people, and I think you'll be safe. You don't have to be a doormat. Even if the culture says, these are my children and my children's partners, they should be my doormat. Am I going to say that that's a thing in Latin American culture? I'm not going to say it's not. But I am going to say you don't have to be a doormat. You just have to be mindful to keep your critiques and your criticisms on the individuals, not the culture. So if you do that, you can. You're, you don't need to live with the white guilt. So that's my final word.
0: And that's been Love-Hate Relationship. And you know what? Again, congratulations, Matthew. Good on you, man.
1: Yes, you know what? You know what? Yeah, congratulations. Hey, um, you didn't include any identifying information in this. You sent this anonymously. But um, if you're comfortable with it, send us some photos. We would love to shout you out. Like, Who's deaf? Send us some photos from your wedding, like best wishes. And hey, I don't, I don't know if you're anywhere near me, but if you need an officiant and you're anywhere near Western North Carolina, I do officiate weddings. I am amazing at it. And it's awesome. He is
0: so. amazing at it. I can confirm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so just a reminder to you, our listening audience, if you have a relationship problem, be that with a loved one, a loved one's family, a friend, a co-worker, a pet, Anything, anything that you could qualify as a relationship and want our perfectly unqualified advice, you can send those questions to lovehaterelationshippodcast at gmail.com where we promise we'll read them.
1: You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even TuneIn Radio. Hey, Mom, you, my mother, are awesome, and you are an awesome in law to my partner, so. Thank you. We would also love it if you reviewed us on any of all of those. Um, I mentioned before we would gotten a couple of new reviews. Uh, some of them have not been nice, and we're not mad at you, but, like, we could really use some nice reviews to balance the it only. On. So, the only person
0: I'm mad at is the person who gave a one-star no comment.
1: Comment, damn you. That's fair, yeah. Like, we're open to feedback, y'all. Like, we take it happily. Um, you can send that feedback to us uh, directly on Twitter at LHRPod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D. Uh, you can send us your questions there. and You can follow us there to keep up with new episodes. Or again, send us feedback. We're down. We listen.
0: Absolutely. If you, uh, if you want to see what we do not on the podcast side, although it, it is pretty interwoven, uh, you can follow me personally at JovoCop2113 on Twitter.
1: And I'm at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z on both Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, y'all. And please, as always, tell your enemies.